0: We we are in a series called Abide, where we're talking about what it looks like for us to engage with this word that God has given us. Uh, what does it what does it mean for us to to read the Bible, not just to read it as though it's it's literature or it's it's some interesting um, something to read to spend some time with, but but it's really intended to do something in our lives. It's intended to to affect change in our lives to shape the way we live and act. Um, I remember I was in college and I was taking general ed courses and one of which was, was political science. And I you know I wasn't super interested in political science and and I was talking with these other freshmen it, and it's always interesting when you get freshmen together to talk about important world to- I mean topics. And I I, I love you guys, you're young you're awesome, engine of the church it's great but but there's a lot of theoretical kind of a lot of idealistic this is how we ought to do this well why because I'm eighteen year old and i and I have all the answers um, but I remember us having these discussions and we were debating some sort of moral issue and whether or not to legislate and and i I was a Christian, maybe not the best Christian in the world, but I was a Christian, and so I was saying, well, I, I think that we ought to go this way, and we ought to do this, and and the basis on which I was making these determinations was Scripture. Now, I wasn't saying that we need to legislate Scripture in the sense that, you know, if you're not a Christian, you can't live in this country, but, but we were having these kind of thought exercises, and I was allowing Scripture to inform my behavior, and I was... It, allowing it to inform my thought process. I was allowing it to inform and shape my, my worldview. And, and I remember looking at some of these other, other uh, college students, and they kind of looked at me like I had two heads. And for them, some of them, maybe they went to church, or they, they practiced some sort of religion, but their idea was religion lives over here, and reality lives over here. And you can do whatever you want over here, and this is fine, yours is yours, mine is mine, it doesn't matter. But when it comes to reality, the two should never meet. And, and the reality I, I fear that many of us, of us face is that we may not say that explicitly, but if we're not careful, we begin to treat the word of God in the same way. We begin to treat the Bible as though it's, it's good information to know. And gosh, I'm a Christian, so I should know the stories David and Goliath and, and Solomon and Samuel and, and, and Jesus. So these are important stories, Paul and Peter, really encouraging, inspiring stories to help me live my life how I want to live my life, but not hearing the Word of God as something which ought to inform, direct, and shape our lives. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually now reading a, um, a history, a church history book. And we're, we're going through this section of Martin Luther, and it's really interesting because for Martin Luther, uh, this idea of what Scripture said had such a strong impact on how he lived his life that in the span of about four or five years, he went from, from serving the Catholic Church to really being in, in rebellion against both the Catholic Church and, and the, the local government because he saw in Scripture something that he had to hold up as the standard by which he lived, It was something that so affected his conscience that he said, I can't but live this way and be faithful to God and my conscience. You see, scripture had impacted him in such a way that he he felt the demand of God, the authority of God to respond appropriately. And so today I want us to look at a text where the, the Bible really informs our understanding of how it ought to function in our life. It tells us, God tells us in his word how we ought to relate to his word. And my hope is that as we begin to engage, or or perhaps if you've done this before, and and this is your life practice, as you engage the word of God in in this manner, that it will shape your life and help you to pursue the ultimate purposes for which you were created. So we're going to be reading out of Psalm 119, the longest chapter of the Bible. We're going to read it all, no. um, We're going to read one verse, so... But I would encourage you to go take 15, 20 minutes afterwards and read it because if you don't like to read the Bible, at the very end of this, if you've read all of it, you will have at least this much interest in reading the Bible. Most likely, you'll, you'll really want to read something in the Bible, but it's a great, it's a great text to go and, and meditate on. But if you will stand with me, we're going to read Psalm 119, <clears throat> verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. We're going to nail this. It's one verse. We got this. Ready? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We did it. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God, your special revelation, your scriptures give us all that we need for life and godliness. Would you help us to see and appreciate your word and its, its place in our life? And would you help us to, to see how Christ, who is the word of God, who was with God in the beginning, who is God, is intended to inform, direct, and guide us into our purposes. God, I pray that you would speak to us by your word. Do what you want to do, God, by your spirit. Speak to us by your word, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So as I said, Psalm 119 is the, the longest chapter in the Bible. It's right in the middle. It's a great uh, it's a great chapter. It's broken up. If you were to go and look, you'd, you'd see that it says Aleph, and then you read a few verses, then... Beth, and, and not Beth, Beth, but Gimel, Dalet. And if you're not familiar, those are the names of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And so what, what King David did was he, he he created an acrostic. And you probably did this as a kid. Maybe you did your name, Eddie, excellent, dutiful. I didn't do it, so I, it's Ed. <laughs> That's all I have. But he took the whole alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, and he wrote sections of, of Psalm 119 where each letter, or sorry, not each letter, each line begins with that letter. So aleph, aleph, all the all the first words of of this section one through, uh, one through sixteen. No, sorry, one through eight. It starts with aleph. Then it moves on to Tibet and gimel and dalat and so forth and so on. So we are in noon, which is the n sound, um, and it starts. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And the, the purpose of this, of this chapter really is to illuminate the value, the importance, the, 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 what Scripture can bring to us, what God intends in it, how it can illuminate our life, how it can encourage us, how it can change us, how God demands that we obey it and follow Scripture. And so we see here that he, he's speaking about Scripture and how it ought to function in our life. And, and as we look at this one verse, we're going to see three things, I think. We're going to see the source, we're going to see the supply, and we're going to see our steps. The source, the supply, and our steps. So, uh, this is a great example of Hebrew. Uh, just stick with me if you're kind of like, this is the boring part. Um, but this is a great example of Hebrew parallelism, right? In English, we do poetry largely by rhyme and meter. So if it rhymes in time, something that rhymes with rhyme in time, that's that's poetry. That was horrible poetry, but it was poetry nevertheless. We we also deal with with meter, with with rhythm, da 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 da, right? And and you have lines that reflect that, and you have different styles of of poetry that have different kinds of of, of meter. You know, Shakespeare used I- I- iambic pentameter, which meant something that, that someone else can explain later. Pent, five, there's, so, there's five strokes, I don't know. It's a thing, um, I promise. And, and that was the way that it was structured. Well, in Hebrew poetry, one of the primary tools of Hebrew po- poetry is called parallelism, where the, the author will write one line. And he'll present a truth or a reality or a command or something like that. And then he'll write the second line, which will be slightly different. And it'll either be a, 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 an addition to the first, or it'll be a comparison or a contrast. And, and when you put the two together, it pre- presents a fuller picture. You know, it, it's a bit like, I don't know if you were, had these as kids, but uh, you had these transparencies. And, and sometimes you'd have one picture, and then you'd, you'd put another picture on it, and out, it would add color. Like if you put them together, pulled them apart, you kind of could tell what you were looking at, but you you put them together and you're like, oh, cool. And, and for those, a transparency is like, uh, it's this piece of paper that you can see through and they, they write different things on it and then they would put it on this this projector thing that would, it's a lot like this, but not digital. So anyways, the point of that is Hebrew parallelism, Parallelism. you, you take the first line and you lo- the second line and you begin to see the what are the differences, what are the similarities, and try to draw the fuller picture. So here we see he says, your word is what? Is a lamp to my, what, feet. And you can stop there and you can kind of have an idea of what he's talking about. But then he goes and he says, and a light to my, what, path. So there's this idea that, that his word, the source, God's word, the source, provides this supply of light, this lamp, this illumination, something that allows us to go from darkness into light, from not being able to see to now we can see and see what? Not just us standing still, but a path to move forward. And we see that that he's telling us something about our path moving forward, and it's not just you walking in the dark uh, from your bathroom or from your bedroom to the bathroom. No, he's talking about your path in life. So we see him talking about the source, the supply and the steps, the source, your word is a lamp to my feet. The Psalmist writes, David writes, your word is a lamp to my feet. You know what he doesn't say is my word is a lamp to my feet. He doesn't say, my understanding is a lamp to my feet. He doesn't say, Bill's understanding is a lamp to my feet. He says, God, your word is a lamp to my feet. Now, we all carry lamps. We all carry lamps. It's just that some of them are broken. Some of them don't properly illuminate our path. And we live in a world which would like to tell us, your understanding, light is just as fine as my light is just as fine as his light. You know, your religion, his religion, her religion, your ideal of, of idea of anything that, it, that it is supernatural, that supersedes what we can, you know, see, hear, taste, touch, smell, if it, it can't be empirically measured, then it is up for grabs. It is subjective. But the Bible would say, no, 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 it 's not subjective in fact, everything that exists visible and invisible is is objectively under the authority of God. you know in Colossians we 've been memorizing, memorizing that as as a staff we've been going through and, and there's this amazing section in Colossians fifteen through twenty where it's uh, scholars think it 's this cor- sort of um, hymn that the early church had or this sort of this culmination of, of christological awesomeness. And it says this, he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn for, from all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, uh, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. What's that say- what that is saying is that there, there's no span or aspect of reality that doesn't fall under the lordship of God that there's no portion of reality that is up for grabs as though we kind of conjure it up into being. Everything falls under God's lordship and everything falls under his word. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word. He says, your word. You know, if if you're studying scripture and, and you want to try and figure out what does this mean? One of the, a helpful exercise that you can do is to take each word and emphasize it in the sentence and begin to understand, okay, how does that affect the meaning? Your word, okay, we're talking about his word, not my word. His word, not the world's word. His word, not anyone else's word. The creator's word, not the creation's word. Your word. This, this idea of the word, dabar in, in the Hebrew, it's this idea of God's creative power And his self-expression, his word brought everything into creation, right? In the beginning, God, he spoke and everything came into being. But not only did he speak and everything came into being, he spoke and he created and then he disclosed himself to reality. He showed us who he was. And if that doesn't make sense, when you read a story the characters in that story are unaware of the existence of the author, right? By, just by, by purely existing, the, the members of the story, right? Winnie the Pooh doesn't know anything about A.A. Milne. All, he doesn't know anything about a lot of things. <laughs> I mean, he, he knows a lot about honey and that's about it. But he wouldn't have any awareness of A.A. Milne unless, unless the author were to write himself into the story. And so we who have been created have an awareness of God because he's written himself into the story. Theologians talk about this in in really kind of two categories. One, they call, I mean, there are other terms, but they they call general revelation. And in Romans 1, it talks about how, how everything in creation testifies to the awesomeness of God. That, you know, as I was driving in from Winchester, yes, I live in Winchester, um, It was amazing and beautiful, and and I'm driving through Berryville, and and everything is kissed with snow, and there are all these trees lining lining the roads, and it's beautiful and majestic and amazing, and I begin to see that, man, there's, there's a power that is greater than me that could in a moment create this amazing scene, and at the same time, this type of creation is happening all the time, all over the place, because God is amazing and great. Creation testifies to the glory of God. Psalm 19 speaks of the same thing, how, how creation uh, says things about God's glory and his, his, his awesomeness. I'll go there right now. Psalm 19. Helpful uh, pro tip. If you want to know about God's creation and his self-revelation, it's Psalm 19 and it's Psalm 119. And there are other places as well, but, but if you can remember that. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That's what I was looking at as I was driving in. The, the heavens declaring God is awesome. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor other words whose voice is not heard. In other words, we have seen and heard. You may have suppressed that. Romans 1 continues to go on and, and say that, that we suppress the truth, but that doesn't mean that we don't have the truth, but with that we suppress it. And so we see that, that this word is visible in creation. But, but there's the general revelation that I speak of, and then there's special revelation. You see, if, if you and I were to just have nature, we would never know about Jesus. We have to have someone tell us about Jesus. We have to have someone tell us about what God did in creation. We have to have someone tell us what, what happened in Israel and what the significance of that is. And that's what we call special revelation. That's what we call the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible. And in this special revelation, which is often called the word of God, God gives us all that we need to know for, for life and godliness. In 1 in Timothy, uh, he describes it this way, talking about scripture. 1 uh, Timothy, nope, sorry, 2 Timothy 3.16. It says this, all scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, all scripture carries the, the spirit of God and, and has been authored by the spirit of God and is profitable, beneficial, helpful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the, the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Scripture is intended to help us and change us and transform us. Special revelation, in other words, God's word is intended to to do some things for us. The source is God's word. Unless we get too far, when we think of the word, we ought to think of John. If you've never thought about this before or if you don't relate the two, let me tell you right now. If you hear the word in the Bible, it may not be directly connected, but you should ask the question, is this connected to Jesus? When you read something in the Old Testament and it says the word does this or the word does that or God's word does this, you should ask, is this connected with Jesus? Because in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was what? The word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And God in this moment, or uh, John, the, the apostle, is not specifically talking about scripture. He's talking about Jesus. We know this because it goes on and it says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything Made that was made in him was life, and the life was the what? Light of men. And it goes on to verse 14. And the word what became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, what John was telling us was that this self-revelation that we see in Scripture, this this God showing us Himself in Scripture, is personified in the person of Jesus Christ. Now we don't just have testimonies about God in God's word, we have God in front of us in his son Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word. And, and our, our ears ought to perk up when we listen to verse four. In him was life, okay, and the life was what? The light of men. What did we read in Psalm 119? Your word is a light to my path. Jesus is the ultimate expression of of God's word. Jesus and the word are the source. Now, we can do this because we know the ending. <laughs> but I, you know, I, what I don't want to do is to say specifically that David was in this moment specifically thinking about Jesus. But God in his sovereignty, in his providence, was able to create and, and write this text in such a way that it would refer to Jesus So it says, your word is what? A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A lamp and a light. We move from the source to the supply. Now what I don't wanna say is God, the source, gives us the supply of light. Because in many ways, God, the source, is also the light. So it's not like a flashlight that gives light, but the flashlight itself is not light. It's more like the sun, which gives light, but also is light. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What this means is that we live in darkness apart from the word. We live in darkness. And in fact, again, I'm I'm quoting Colossians a lot, but that's what happens when you're memorizing Colossians. Um, In Colossians one of the things that, that God does is in Colossians chapter one, we see that God transfers us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And where does he transfer us from but the domain of darkness? Psalm or sorry, Colossians chapter one, verse thirteen says, He delivered us from the domain of what? Darkness. And when, when, when Paul writes that, he isn't saying specifically just the church in Colossae, but he's saying this is the situation that we all find ourselves in. You and I, apart from Christ, live in the domain of darkness, under the 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 rulership of the, sounds spooky if you've never, you know, but the rulership of the devil. I mean, that's where we are. That's what the Bible tells us, that when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God who was in control. They served as vice regents, as, as those in charge of, of all creation, and they decided, you know what, I'm going to submit to um, the, the testimony of this serpent. What they did is they said, you be in charge. And they came under his authority. And that has existed throughout creation apart from the salvific works of God where God is transferring people from that domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. You and I, we live in the domain of darkness. And if we pay any attention, it's it's an apt description of many aspects of life. Sickness, suffering, slavery, hate. And I'm not talking about like the 1850s. I'm talking now. Right? We live in a world that is, and I'm thankful for all the good things of the world, but it is broken. Each of you has a personal testimony of the brokenness of the world, the, the effect of sin on your own personal life. We we ought to ask ourselves, what's going on with this world? The, the, the righteous indignation that comes up when you see injustice is legitimate because we live what? In the domain of darkness. And I think we all know that. Now, the world has gone through a number of different iterations of things they think that can, what can draw us out? You know, maybe this thing can draw us out. Maybe this thing can draw us out. Maybe this thing can draw us out. Maybe if if everyone was really well educated, right, the enlightenment, if we just trusted in the sciences, we had made good observations, hypotheses, learned about the world, increased in our knowledge, taught at a younger age, then, then we'd fix the world's problems. No, our problems just got more sophisticated. It's not for lack of knowledge, right? Again, to go back to Romans 1, what, what, what the writer of Romans 1 says is that, that we see creation and we see and know that God exists, but, but we suppress that knowledge and we pursue other things in his place, we would rather have the glory of our own self-determination and autonomy and I'm awesome and I'm in charge and I can, I can call the shots than to acknowledge that there's a God that I have to respond to. The issue isn't that I don't know that there's a God. The issue isn't that, oh man, if I'd just known, then I would have completely lived differently. Right? It's the fool that goes and says, you know what, if I lived in Jesus' time, I would have treated him completely differently. No, we wouldn't have. That's the scary thing. Apart from the work of God, you and I are made up of the same stuff. And so we see that we live in darkness, and God's word provides what? It provides light. Now, this is important. God's word provides light, but it isn't just turning on the light so you can read a book, it's light, it's a moral light right, if our problem is living in the domain of darkness, and that darkness isn't just a physical expression of, of a lack of, of illumination, but it's, a, it's a, an expression of a, a disposition, a negative, evil, wicked disposition that we have towards God, then when the light comes on, there has to be an equally good, repentant, appropriate disposition toward God. The light is intended to do something for you and me. This is why I think that, that some of us struggle when we read the Bible because we read it and we can't draw the line between what's being said and what in the world that has anything to do with my life. And I, I understand. I'm reading through Chronicles, 1 Chronicles. I don't know if you've read it. You may have forgotten it if you had. I'm wait, well, I'll just go there right now. It's It's God's word. And and it has important implications. I'm sure. I'm in chapter chapter nine, and it is literally nine chapters. Benjamin, father Bella, his firstborn; Ashbel, the second; and Azra, the third; Noah, the fourth; and Ra- the fifth. And that's two verses. There are nine chapters of that. Check, please. <laughs> Check, please. What is the value? That is a valid question. The value of this is that there are nine chapters of people and families God had chosen and prepared who went through periods of rebellion and then obedience and the promised land. And these are people, Chronicles is written, you know, around or after the time of exile, where where the people of Israel are trying to regroup. And they're saying, guys, we have a family of people who have come under the authority of God and God made promises to us, do you remember? And when you begin to read and, and those names take on a different significance, when you can connect the dots between them and you and realize that we too are people, hopefully written in a book, Whose names have significance because of God's salvific work. Now maybe, that'll, th- maybe it'll still be a challenge on, on Monday morning as I crack open First or First, Coloss- or First Chronicles. I can't even say it. First Chronicles chapter 10. But I can trust that there is going to be value in there because God's word is a light. To my path. That it's intended to be a light. And that light is not just for um, mental stimulation. But it's intended to do something to my soul. To get me what? Onto my steps. We talked about the source. We talked about the supply. Let's talk about the steps. Your word is a lamp to my what? Feet. Unless we think that that just means that we're staring at the ground and thinking, oh, cool, feet. I can see my feet now. No, he's saying... In other words, it's a, it's a light to my path. God has a path. God has a purpose. God has a destination and he has a means by which to, which to get to that destination. And his word lights that path. It helps us not to make missteps and it shows us what's truly there. You know, the, the, the Bible speaks to reality. Reality. And it doesn't just speak to, okay, what should we do on Sunday's Christian stuff? You know, this kind of narrow scope of, of understanding. No. Do you, do you want to know what it means to be a man? Look at the Bible. Do you want to know what it means to be a woman? Look at the Bible. Do you want to know what the beginning of time looked like? Go to Genesis 1. I'm not trying to be primitive or, or uh, foolish or to ignore the other things that we know about the world. I'm thankful for science Funny story, science sits on a foundation of understanding that the world is orderly and it has to be orderly because there's an orderly God who created it. Otherwise, it's just meaningless. Side note. Um, Do you want to know how to live your life? How to succeed in marriage? Go to Ephesians 5. Husbands, you want to know how to bless your wives? Love them like Christ loved the church. Do you know how Christ loved the church? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you want to know how he's sacrificed? Read Paul. Do you want to know how, how, how you ought to conduct yourself in, in business? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Read Proverbs. Where's David Montgomery? is going to ask a question. You want to know how to, how to deal with your money? Read Proverbs. He's going to talk about Proverbs and probably a bunch of other scriptures that inform our understanding of of what we should do in in response and relationship to the Dow, to investments, to uh, 401Ks. Right? You, you think, well, the Bible doesn't have anything to do with the 401k. Well, it's not going to list, this is what you should do with the 401k. You know, really, you should get a Roth IRA. You know, it, it helps you with taxes. And No, it's not going to say that, but it will give us principles by which we ought to live. Principles of integrity. Princi- principles of trusting God. Principles of, of generosity. And they work because this is God's world. These aren't just opinions that God, that, that, that we get, and it's like, well, give this a try, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. By and large, these things work because we live in God's world. It's, it's a, the light illuminates our reality. See, when we begin to, to broaden our idea of what the Bible is for, we'll see that it applies to a lot more situations than we would otherwise think. And part of the reason you and I struggle with the Bible is because we think that it doesn't matter. It matters because that way I can look at Pastor Eddie in the eyes and say, yes, I read, read my Bible this week. But, but it has so much more. You know, I'll go back to 2 Timothy 2 Timothy, that that quote, chapter 3. He says, All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable. For what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness so that you can be competent and equipped for every good work. Why do I care about good works? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2 it says this, we are workmanship, we are the workmanship of Christ, created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works. The purpose for which you have been created is to do God, God's good works that he prepared beforehand. How are you to walk in the good works that God has given you? Second Timothy tells us, read the Bible, allow it to shape and form you, and prepare you for the good works that God has, get, has, has made for you. God's word is a light to my feet and a lamp, to, or a lamp to my feet and a light to my path each of us is on a path for some of us the path is, is how, do I, how do I navigate college what, what, what's my purpose what, what's that next step what career should I take who should I date who, who sh- should I get married and the Bible has a lot to say about those things some of us are, are further along we've, we've been through our careers we've got some money we, we, our kids have grown up and the question is, how do I live in relationship to, to grown-up kids? How do I, what should I do with this money that God has given me? What does it look like for me to establish a legacy? What, what do good works look like in this season of life? And I can promise you that the Bible has something to say about that. of How, how younger men are to train, or older men are to train younger men and older women are to train younger women. And we are to be generous in our lives. This word, it is intended to change, transform, and direct our lives. And, and the ultimate expression of that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the, the same questions I asked. How should I, look at, how should I live my life? We can say, look at the word. We can also say, look at Jesus. You know, there, there were these, these bracelets that were really popular that said WWJD. And they got some flack, and I understand why, because... You know what would Jesus do? And and some people push back and they said, well, Jesus did things that we couldn't do or shouldn't do. He died on the cross for our sins in our place. Absolutely, totally agree with that. I was kind of on board when, because it kind of became this kind of cultural, shibble, this this thing that I'm a Christian. But the the question is appropriate. What would Jesus do? At the very least, it's not a bad thing to do the things that Jesus would do in general, right? Jesus would love someone. We should love someone. You know, if he would. Uh, not do a thing, probably shouldn't do that thing. That's okay. And, and his life is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. His life is, is intended to bring that kind of clarity And and the reality is apart from him, we we can't see. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this. Paul's talking about his ministry. And he says, therefore, having this ministry, this ministry of of giving the testimony of, of Jesus Christ, of sharing the gospel, this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. In other words, he's not trying to trick us into something. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is failed, even if people don't understand our gospel, even if they they can't see and, and appreciate the good news about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sake of our salvation, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing what the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Ultimately, we need light family because without it, we can't appreciate the gospel. There are some people who hear that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life that you and I should have lived. We, he died the death that you and I deserve bearing the wrath of God and he rose again on the third day and they respond by saying, meh. We say that there's a guy who lived a righteous, moral, good life. He wasn't affected by the culture. He didn't give it into corruption. He, he didn't bend to political pressure. And he lived a perfect life. And then they murdered him. And then after they murdered him, he came back alive. And he didn't just kind of float around like Casper the friendly ghost. No, he was there Physically and he showed himself to a bunch of people. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, P- Paul tells us that, that he showed himself to, to hundreds of people, I believe it says. 500? All right, thank you. We did it. That, that Jesus, he, he came back to life. And for, for some of us, the lights aren't on, and we don't see, we just don't see The, the, the Bible is intended to help us to see. You know, what's interesting is that we don't see the glory of Christ in the gospel, and yet it is the gospel that is intended to help us to see the glory of Christ. You know, for some of us, the story is, I didn't appreciate the gospel. I'd heard it, and I'd heard it, and I'd heard it, until one day I heard it, and I appreciated the gospel. The power of God worked on me. Family, if, if you're in that place where, where this Bible is, it's meh it's not that interesting, not that impactful. I would say go to the word, God's word. Go to Jesus Christ. If you don't know where to go, there's 66 books. It's kind of crazy. If you try and do some sort of Bible roulette, you'll end up in a weird place and it'll be unhelpful, right? Don't do that. But go to Jesus, go to Matthew, go to Mark, go to Luke, go to John. You know, if, if you want to know all the details, go to Luke. If you want something that's kind of quick paced, you only got 10 minutes, read Mark. If you want to get something that's going to touch your heart, that's going to pull at your, your emotions, read John. If you want to know how, how, how this even has any sort of connection with the Old Testament, read Matthew. Re- read this, hear the word of God, see the word of God, and I promise you that God will turn on the lights, because that's the purpose. And then you and I, we will be able to see our path. To figure out, okay, what does it look like for me to walk out these good works that God has prepared for us beforehand? What does it look like for us to live this out? Family, God's word is powerful. It is a light. And I, 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 I challenge you to test it. If you feel like, okay, Pastor Eddie, it's a light, but what about this situation? My marriage is in shambles. I'm having trouble I don't know what to do. I'm at my wit's end. What should I do? I promise you, read Ephesians 5. Read 1 Corinthians 13. I, I've read marriage books, and, and, and it basically boils down to, if you can do this, if you will love people with patience and kindness, gentleness, not holding offense, not being irritable, not keeping a record of wrongs, you're going you're gonna to be Okay? You may still have to work on some details, figure out who, who does the laundry, who cleans the house, Who you know, that's fine. You can figure that stuff out. But if you learn to love people, according to what 1 Corinthians 13 says, you will have the light shine in such a way that you can walk the path of your marriage. Maybe, maybe you're in college and you're trying to figure out what the future holds for you. Read Ephesians chapter 2. Think about what it means that God prepared beforehand that, you had, that he has good works for you to walk in. What are those good works that God has opened doors for you? If he has said, I've prepared good works for you to walk in, then then you can believe that he's going to open doors for those good works. You can look at your life and say, okay, i got this open door. I can serve at the church. I can help out with X, Y, and Z. I can serve at this nonprofit area. I can help these people. I can tutor. There are good works that God has prepared plopped right in front of you, that you can walk in, and and what you do is you, you just begin to work in those things, and the things that stick, you keep doing. The things that don't stick, you don't keep doing. You know, I am terrible at tutoring because I I don't have any sort of patience. Okay, well, work on your patience and try something else, you know, but find something to walk in. The Bible has so much, if you don't, it has so much to say about our lives, and and it may not give you the specific, okay, go down to uh, Loudoun Street, turn right at, at Catoctin, and, and you know, it may not have all those kinds of specifics, but there are things in here that will direct and shape and guide you, because God's word is a light. We, we have not failed to see the light because we've sought it and sought it, and sought it, and, and God has not turned on the light. We, we, by and large, have not seen the light because we've not pursued the light. Would you, would you pursue the light this week? If you don't know what to do, practically speaking, here's your homework. Read Psalm 119. If you don't want to read Psalm 119, and you're married, read Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13. If, you, if you're not married, read 1 Corinthians 13 anyways, because it's good for loving anyone. And then read First Thessalonians talking about walking in purity. If, if, if you don't want to do that, read Genesis 1 and just see what happens. If you don't want to do that, listen to my sermon again and then pick one of the ones I just said. <laughs> the Bible is beneficial. It is God's word. And it, and it testifies to Jesus who is God's word personified. And, and, and God wants to illuminate your path. He wants to illuminate your path. Your life may be hard. It may be challenging. It may be stressful and painful. But God wants it to be a life that is informed, shaped, and guided by his word. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word. I thank you that, that, that there's so much that, that you speak to about life in general, about knowledge, about the pursuit of understanding, about wisdom, about relationships, about family. Didn't even talk about family. Your, your word has so much to say about what it means to be a good father, a good mother, to be a good son or daughter, to be a good friend. And God, I pray that we would be a people Whose lives are not just seasoned with the word, but are shaped, and formed, and directed and guided by the word, that would be Bible people. Even in a culture which, in which it being a Bible person is, is passe, it's it's countercultural. It's uh, in some respects politically incorrect. God, your word stands above and over all of the things. And I pray that we would receive that reality, that we would cherish your word above all things because it is your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God, illuminate our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.